Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that raise money and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Cause Marketing Forum and Selfish Giving. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at CauseUpdate.com and SelfishGiving.com. Now on to today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Joe Waters, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Cause Talk Radio. On the line with me is Miss Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hello, Joe. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. I can't believe it. It's 1978 all over again. <laughs> I was another tell- year of was- Cause Talk Radio where I had I was- more time. I was telling my kids, I was like, you know, when I was a kid, I remembered 1977 coming in. And they're looking at me like, who are you? What are you, what are you from Downton Abbey or something? You know, it, it, they just don't get it anymore anyway. So, But, you know, what I'm really excited about today, Megan, is... When I think of the name Brian Reich, I think of futurist. This Ooh. this person on the line, when I think of him, I think of like not 1977, but the future of cause and on cause marketing. And on the line with us right now is Brian Reich, who's director of Hive, uh, the UN Refugees Agency's Innovation Lab. And he's going to tell us about a new campaign called Refugee Emojis. Hey, Brian, how's it going? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. And, and futurist, I'll, I'll take Don't that. Don't you love that? That's much yeah. nicer than most of the things I'm called. That's <laughs> right. See, you, you know, I think there's a great speaking fee in futurist. You know, that I mean, that's. So I mean, I've just increased your speaking fees tenfold. I will make sure to send you the requisite two and a half percent. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, well, you know, it was funny, and we were talking a little bit about this before the show. Just you know, that we found the, about what you were doing right now through you know the many press releases we get from people talking about campaigns that want to be on the show and stuff like that. And you know, I immediately wrote back to the person like, "Yeah, I want to talk to Brian Reich," and uh, because he's a wicked smart guy. And you have been involved in a lot of different things. Uh, you've written two books? Two books, and two, I'm working on a third, yeah. You're working on a third book. How'd you get involved with this? This hive and the whole refugee. Must you take the weight of the world on your shoulders every time? Well, you know, I, I keep trying to pick these issues that I know are important, that I know have, uh, you know, some sort of global uh, relevance, mm-hmm. but also ones that at least when I'm starting to get involved have not reached that point where everybody's talking about them because right. a lot of the work that I get an opportunity to do is is at least by as it's designed uh, supposed to be experimental and disruptive, whatever, whatever buzzword you want to toss in there and, you know, try and do some things that haven't been done before. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's much harder to do when you're the issue or the cause that's on the front page and on the cable news and on the, you know, top of everyone's mind. And so when, uh, when I got approached about this project by a guy named Ari Wallach, uh, who I'd worked with before on a couple of things, uh, he runs a group called Synthesis Corp, which is really sort of in this business of reformulating the way organizations do their strategy and their marketing, um, not necessarily limited to causes and serious issues, uh, could be anything. But, you know, he he said, you know, we have an opportunity to really take one of these UN agencies, these, you know, slow moving sort of traditional NGO types mm-hmm. and, you know, and really show that there's a new and a different way of going about this. And and in the process, you know, we might be able to make some kind of dent in the way Americans 
uh, understand and connect with and care about the global refugee crisis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll admit at the time, you know, I didn't I didn't really know that much or care that much about the global refugee crisis. Um, We'd all heard about refugees and there have been those little spikes from time to time. But, uh, you know, once we got into it, you know, there's so much going on. Sixty million people displaced from their homes around mm-hmm. the world. It's not just in Europe and what right. we're seeing yep. coming out of Syria. It's, it's you know, every continent and, you know, probably worse refugee crises in places like Asia and Africa and Latin America than even what we're seeing in Europe, if you can imagine mm-hmm. right now. And so it was, you know, it was just one of those where I was like, this is this is ripe for the kind of experimental approach that's needed. And you know, credit to UNHCR, uh, which is a big, slow-moving, bureaucratic UN-type organization at its core, uh, you know, for, for recognizing that they weren't going to figure this out, you know, from the inside. They weren't going to figure out how to, you know, get more Americans engaged just by doing more of the same types of things that they've always done or mm-hmm. what other organizations even have done. And, you know, they, they, turned, they turned us loose mm-hmm. and off we went. And yeah. how many people are part of the Hive? So we have 10 uh, staff. Uh, we have myself. We have a full-time knowledge-sharing person. We have a web engineer, programmer type. We have a data scientist. We have social person, two or three um, sort of outreach uh, community engagement type people uh, who run a lot of our you know, different uh, campaign type projects and, you know, and then sort of an ops person. Mm-hmm. And then we have a network of – uh, probably 50 different vendors and partners that we pre-qualified, right? So we, one of the big things we wanted to do was avoid sort of the RFP slow moving, mm-hmm. you know, eight bids on everything yep. trap. Um, so we pre-qualified about 50 different vendors spanning everything, uh, PR, marketing, design, creative tech, uh, you know, virtual reality, filmmaking, speech writing, the whole nine yards. And as we go about all of these things, we're able to call in different people with uh, varying kinds of expertise, particularly and, and importantly expertise outside of the cause realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much everyone in our staff and everyone in this network of vendors does not have experience working with nonprofits. They come mm-hmm. from the political world. They come from the brand marketing world. They come from startups. They come from media companies. Uh, and and we're sort of mashing all that expertise together uh, to try and come at this cause issue challenge in a totally different way. So is is your title there, Queen Bee? Yeah. <laughs> are you jealous of that, Joe? <laughs> I, well, I'm just trying to think. Like, are there worker bees there, or is there there's a queen you know, bee? I have, and I have, I have like I'm, this, I'm going the, through the bee movie right now, just <laughs> thinking of myself. Like, no, I, so I have to tell you this, right? So one of the things that I that I try to do with all the projects that I get involved with is is form this sort of war room type operation, right? Mm-hmm. Very focused. Uh, quick to you know scale up and operate at full speed and then just as quick to shut down or move on or transform when you know what we got into business to do has been accomplished and time after time as I've done this and I describe it as a war room type operation the organization the client whoever sort of you know bristles at the idea of a war room it just mm. it feels too violent yeah, too aggressive right. so each time we have to come up with some you know interesting, compelling sounding name that, you know, still feels innovative and still feels 
aggressive, but doesn't have that. And so, you know, literally the hive was, well, you know, we're going to be busy and buzzing with activity and, what's, ah, there you know, you go. et cetera. Yeah. And so we're yeah. like hive and, you know, yeah. off it went. Yeah. Um, I thought you were going to say it was the room of death you decided to call it. No, <laughs> trust me. I mean, we, we always try for those, uh, for the aggressive ones. Cause I, cause I like the idea of sort of, you know, that we're going into battle because yeah. this is battle, but you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes you don't get to, to have that turn out the way you want from a branding standpoint. So we went with Hive and, you know, yellow is a color that works and it tends to get people's attention. So it all, uh, it all comes together eventually. So with the Hive, you had just said, you know, we're going to get in and solve this problem and get out. So is, is the problem American awareness of the re- refugee crisis or is it at the end of the day and then getting them to donate to this effort? Or is it really just about awareness? No, it's, it's frankly, it's almost everything but awareness. Um, mm-hmm. From my perspective, awareness is not all that difficult to achieve. And as we've seen actually with the global refugee crisis, as a number of different events have happened over the last, say, six to eight months, whether it was the three-year-old boy washing up on shore Mm -hmm. or the pope talking about it, the president issuing the challenge at the United Nations for more Americans to get engaged, uh, you know, in a in a not so constructive way, the sort of political chaos that emerged out of the uh, terrorist attacks in Paris, you know, awareness happens, but it's it's fleeting. Mm -hmm. So the challenge in the United States is really one of knowledge and engagement. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is no refugee crisis in the United States. People don't really understand that this is a global crisis and that it affects everyone. And until Americans do understand that, the likelihood that they're going to commit time or energy or, yeah, dollars, uh, you know, is, is, are pretty slim. Um, so we have to, we have to reframe the whole conversation of the refugee crisis through the lens of what Americans are going to care about, what they're going to spend time with and understand, which really means taking the refugee crisis and figuring out how to adapt it to the many different audiences, in the United States that have the potential and seeming interest in uh, helping to address, you know, this, this big challenge so, and, and not about bringing everyone to us, not about uh, the metrics are not really about how much money does the organization raise or how many people mm-hmm. end up on the list because we could have the, you know, biggest organization in the world and it's still not necessarily going to make a dent in this crisis. That's, that's exactly the crux of the challenge. So do you, have you folks developed like a bunch of personas of people, you know, around the country saying, Hey, this is an audience, you know, they have the type, these types of characteristics. This is how we're going to appeal to them and so forth. We actually went sort of several steps beyond that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So working with the team that did president Obama's, uh, predictive modeling for the 2008 and then the 2012 presidential campaign and the same types of sophisticated modeling that you now see the targets and the Walmarts and a couple of other very sophisticated brands Mm -hmm. using, we went and actually did individual level predictive modeling for all uh, adult Americans in the United States. So we have individual level data intelligence on essentially 280 plus million people in the US. Mm -hmm. And what are the likelihoods that they would care about this issue, what are potential uh, triggers in terms of messages, uh, what are the the different types of ways that most uh, effectively could reach them, whether it's digital or mobile or telephone or television, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know who are the trusted voices, and so we're constantly using that level of 
sophisticated data to to look for the pockets of concentrated interest or support. So maybe that's some geographic markets. Maybe it's um, you know a certain sort of demographic psychographic slice. But it's 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 more than a persona because it's really about shaping the individual experience that someone's going to have, the way that they're going to interact with. Uh, the stuff that we're putting out as opposed to uh, sort of targeting a broad audience and hoping to get, you know, some percentage of them. We're we're actually going essentially for, you know, 100 percent success rate in engagement by targeting really well and then also creating the kinds of messaging and outreach and engagement that should resonate with, uh, you know, each and every person who we're trying to target. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about that last piece then. What so once you've found these sort of hot spots of people that could potentially be interested um and and good targets for you, what sorts of things have you done and how did you come up with these things that you thought would be engaging? Yeah, so the first thing that we try to do is be very audience centric, which I realize is sort of a cliche in marketing, but you know, rather than try and figure out uh, what we think is compelling and then how to get someone to move in our direction, we're very much focused on what people are already doing, how they're spending their time, what they're already spending their money on, who they're already connected to and things of that nature, and then adapting the different opportunities to become connected to or learn more about or, or take some action in support of the global refugee crisis to fit those patterns. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, a couple of little examples from uh, from our testing last year uh, during the baseball playoffs, uh, we you know noticed the correlation between the number of people who were in attendance at several of the ballparks, the City Field, Wrigley Field, things like that, and the number of people who were being forced to flee their homes because of war and persecution and conflict every day. Uh, and so we put out, you know, some hyper-targeted ads to, uh, you know, to men uh, mm-hmm. who, you know, were likely watching uh, coverage of the Major League Baseball playoffs. And the ads, you know, did not feature refugees, but, you know, featured baseball stadiums and said, you know, you know how many people are showing up now imagine that all of those people disappeared uh, every day and never were able to return home right and that kind of thing and then it you know it dumps them into a series of engagements paths another one we did uh, heavily focused uh, on uh, when the pope was in town uh, was the idea of uh, Jesus was a refugee mm-hmm. um, which is you know not an original thought by mm-hmm. any means um, uh, in fact you know at, during christmas time you heard it a lot but uh, people were not using it as a sort of cultural marketing connection. So we actually produced a bumper sticker uh, and a set of ads that featured the Pope mobile when the Pope was in town and said, you know, here's a Jesus was a refugee bumper sticker on the Pope mobile. Hmm. And, you know, don't you want one for yourself? And, you know, it's not a it's not a requirement of a deep commitment to becoming engaged with uh, the, the UN Refugee Agency or the cause yet. It's, it's just an identifier. It's something that people – you know, would understand and think was interesting. So it's it's the beginning of that conversation, right? So you have a yet what you have is some classic persuasion through identification, and then you're taking people through a real incremental process in yeah, terms and, of slacktivism forward. Yeah, and the 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 two big things I would 
flagger one you know none of our stuff by design looks at all like anything i think you would find in the world of causes or nonprofits. Mm -hmm. um there are no you know disaster porn uh hope and horror uh types of pictures you'll see that actually coming out of unhcr and usa for unhcr uh in the advertising that they do to fundraise mm -hmm. it's pictures of you know people uh, overflowing in boats in the mediterranean mm -hmm. or living in a camp or things like that and you know that works for a certain audience but we're really focused on getting this audience that's not engaged so we can't just target better and then use the same types of creative approaches mm -hmm. and then the other thing is you know yeah there is a you know there is a ladder of engagement and there is a you know a number of different sort of traditional slacktivism type things um, but we're also looking very much at consumer behavior so mm -hmm. we're looking at um, you know how can we present uh, purchase options or investment options? How can we look at, uh, you know, things that people might get incentives to actually be involved that aren't necessarily tied to the refugee crisis? Because, mm -hmm. you know, I don't, we have a lot of different goals we need to accomplish. Not all of them, you know, need to end in a transaction that is going to be directly associated with the refugee crisis. If we can figure out other ways to generate revenue, great. If we can figure out ways to get people to spend time and talk about these issues without ever interacting with us as an organization, that's fine too. So we've been pushing a lot more than trying to to collect people into our world because mm -hmm. Frankly, people spend a lot more time in their world, and if we can get a little bit of that, we're going to be in a much better situation than having a relatively small audience of people, you know, come and be part of our world. Right. So, Have you done any? Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead, go ahead. What What I was going to ask, uh, Brian, was just talking about, you know, this brings us kind of refugees emojis. How did you come up with the idea, and how does this kind of fit into this idea you about you have about how to reach out to people and connect with them? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we have you know, realized very quickly and, and found over and over again is that the language that the UN Refugee Agency uses, the language that NGOs use, just doesn't resonate with the vast majority of people in the United States. There mm -hmm. are do-gooders. There are people who care deeply about these issues and causes. And, you know, they, they talk in terms that relate to philanthropy and global crisis and, you know, helping others and, and all of that. And, and that works. But for the majority of people uh, who don't spend their days like we do thinking about this stuff, they're talking about everything else. And right. one of the ways that they're talking about stuff is by emojis. They're mm -hmm. incredibly popular uh, an effective tool for communication. God, they drive uh, me crazy, Brian. Yeah, I, but, you know, <laughs> I have no clue. People but, talk to me in emojis all the time. I don't know what they're saying to me. No, I'm totally. And, and so, you know, that's not my way of doing things, yeah. but that's the important part of it. So if there are a lot of people out there who we want to engage with in some way, the global refugee crisis, and they're not going to embrace the language I use every day, mm -hmm. then I have to go and embrace their language. And emojis is a big one. Right. So, you know, we look at the refugee emojis, uh, which, you know, originally was launched by a group in Europe as a traditional donation engine, uh, you know, download the app for a couple bucks and some money will go to a nonprofit that helps refugees, et cetera. And, you know, it wasn't resonating in the United States, not surprisingly. So, you know, we worked with them and we rebuilt it and we said, look, the opportunity here is to use refugees and create a common language for talking about this issue of, you know, tremendous global importance. Mm -hmm. And that may be, uh, you know, people talking about the innocent 
real people who are forced to flee. It may be talking about the practicalities of you know, crossing the Mediterranean or life jackets mm -hmm. or whatever. It's not for me to say here's one way that you are able to talk about uh, refugees. It's it's a tool. It's a mechanism for mm -hmm. anybody who you know becomes interested, becomes curious to say this is something that I think is important, and mm -hmm. and that becomes something, of course, that we can build on and that we can start to you know to expand in terms of the relationship with those people. But we needed that common language, and unfortunately. We needed, you know, to develop a common language in order to get people to even consider it. You know, one of the things I, I wonder, though, Bri, with the refugee emojis, do you think people know what you're talking about with those specific emojis? Because, you know, one of the things that um, I'm familiar with, the World Wildlife Fund did an emoji campaign. And, uh, you know, they did all these like, you know, beautiful, funny little animals, you know, that you could use for emojis. And they actually had kind of a sidebar in it that you could you could donate every time you used one. You know, a dime or something like that every time you use them. And do you think the the emojis for the refugee, are those going to resonate with people? Or is it one of those things where you're like, well, that's the point, Joe. If people start using them, then it will resonate in terms of what they mean. Well, I think it's two things. You know, one is uh – you know, it has to it has to exist. It has to be there in order for uh, people to have an opportunity to connect with it and right. you know figure out a way to resonate with it. The other thing is remember that uh, what we were talking about in terms of awareness, there there will continue to be a global refugee crisis. It's not getting any better anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So there will continue to be moments when the world chooses to pay attention in a certain way mm -hmm. and. We're not going to necessarily know when those moments happen, and we certainly should not uh, limit ourselves to being in a sort of disaster response frame. Mm -hmm. So we need to be there and we need to you know, lay that foundation, and when those moments happen, we need to be able to take advantage of them. And so you know, we just need to establish it as an option for people. We need to establish it as something that people will consider mm. – uh, using and then you know the the other parts of it the kind of galvanizing force that'll to some extent take care of itself mm -hmm. uh, and will be in position to take advantage of it what what we have to get out of is this this dynamic where you know everything is just a you know a momentary burst of attention mm -hmm. or a momentary tragedy and we capitalize on it but we largely just get the same people to engage over and over and over again right. and miss the opportunity to use each of those moments to kind of move the ball a little bit further down the field it may take you know a year two years to get some of these people who are not yeah. engaged but do seem to have the propensity and the interest to support you know to connect at all but once we do they're never going to turn back and Unless we do, we're never going to make real progress. So it's worth the investment. It's worth, you know, it's worth the time. Mm -hmm. What about corporate partners? Have you done anything to engage them or do you have plans to in the future? Yeah, you know, even with the uh, the, uh, the the World Wildlife Fund one, um, Brian and um, Meg, is I was wondering with that one too is I thought that was a great opportunity for a corporate partner, but they didn't, they didn't have one. I mean, maybe they didn't need one. I mean, the program seemed to do pretty well for them. But have you folks tried that? Yeah, well, so a couple things on that. So one is, you know, there have been, I think, an incredible outpouring of support from corporations in response to the global refugee crisis, but largely following traditional philanthropic frames. Right. So they raise awareness, they 
write a check. And those are great, except we have to then wait around for that company to once again feel that the global refugee crisis is of sufficient importance to run another campaign that raises awareness or, you know, motivates them to write a bigger check. Mm -hmm. So the types of relationships that we've been working on with corporate partners, tech companies, et cetera, are much more focused on things like data and intelligence and looking at what they understand about how to engage these Americans who don't care about causes and whatnot. Um, and, um, you know, learn from them or, or gain capabilities that we wouldn't otherwise have access to, right? So we are working with a ton of corporate partners, but they're not in sort of a campaign frame, right? They're right. not a co-sponsor, yeah. uh, et cetera. It's, it's much more uh, at a kind of strategic level still. And, you know, look, I think what will happen is we will we will get an opportunity to do more forward-facing campaigns with these new types of corporate partners, but they're going to look very, very different than the kind of cause marketing, uh, you know, promotional mm -hmm. uh, elements that we currently see. They're going to be much more like business relationships or strategic relationships. Yeah, right. But I mean, you, you would think too, I mean, two of the things I love about it is one, it's an online campaign. And obviously the emojis too are engaged with a, and directed at a younger audience. And you think that would be really appealing to a lot of businesses. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing is, you know, engagement is, I think the challenge for everyone. Mm. The, the marketing world is no, uh, is no more successful in getting, you know, a large audience to engage in a set of new activities or a set of activities or engage with a new brand or et cetera. So there's major opportunities to learn and test and explore. And one of the great things about the causes and serious issues, an issue like the global refugee crisis is you know people are much more likely to care about you know other human beings or issues related to their security or economic prosperity or whatever than they are about you know some soda or clothing or car mm -hmm. brand mm -hmm. um, so it's a better test base for these brands to learn what really makes humans tick and how can we influence that and how can we educate people and how can we get people to do things. It, we, we, we basically are offering something I think more valuable than just kind of the cause halo effect mm -hmm. that we all see in a lot of the relationships between nonprofits and, and brands. You know, we offer an actual opportunity to learn and do things, you know, really, really differently, not just in the cause space, but really in the, the sort of overall marketing, branding, uh, you know, behavior change type of space as a whole. Mm, and I really like the fact, too, that with the emojis, too, it, you know, you have given the emoji people real names like Osama and Muhammad and other names like that and stuff like that that people can really identify with. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, this is these are real people. Right. Um, and, you know, to get away from that sort of disaster porn, hope and horror type of thing, you have to you have to make very clear that aside from the circumstances that these people who've been forced to flee find themselves in, they are, for all intents and purposes, exactly like uh, everyone else. They're mm -hmm. doctors and engineers and nurses and students and moms and cousins and siblings and 
all of that. And just the same as, you know, you could walk down the street. I mean, I live in New York, so it's a sort of hyper diverse place, but you could walk down the street and meet someone who looked like and sounded like and shared the same sets of experiences as someone who is a refugee, but they're not because they don't happen to live in a war zone or they're not subject to the terror that gangs in Latin America are bringing against them or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if we stop thinking about these people as being special, as being others, as being, you know, far away, mm -hmm. you know, you can see how people in the United States' willingness to take some sort of action, to learn a bit, a little bit more, to do whatever really changes. Um, they just need to, they just need to appreciate it, not as some special cause or humanitarian thing, but just as, you know, another person, another human being, the same as you would encounter on the street. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been so fascinating. Brian, what can we look forward to in 2016 from The Hive? So we spent a lot of 2015, uh, you know, sort of throwing things against the wall and seeing what <laughs> sticked, um, both in terms of our data and our different uh, engagement opportunities with the audiences, but also within the the nonprofit refugee humanitarian space. Because, you know, look, we're, we're, a, we're a little – engine here to change a lot of things, but we're operating within a much larger and, and I would argue sort of broken system. So mm -hmm. now that we have figured out a lot and proven in a lot of ways that these different approaches can really work, now we have to scale and we have to put in place uh, some more of the truly sort of collaborative and sector-wide type transformative things. So I think you're going to see um, I mean, we're going to do a lot of stuff. We're going to, you know, launch community-based, uh, you know, organizing programs that are not, again, about coming and joining and being one of our organizers, but about giving anyone who's already out there in a community, big or small, anywhere in the country, you know, the opportunity to, uh, you know, educate someone or connect with someone who's not already engaged. We're going to take the data sophistication that we have and make it, you know, as available as possible to brands and nonprofits who you know, by collaborating with us, get a little smarter, get a little more efficient and, you know, sort of the rising tide lifts all boats. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of what we're going to do in 2016 is, you know, equally focused on us achieving what we need to accomplish for the refugee crisis specifically, getting more Americans to engage and measuring some of that, but also sort of this larger, uh, you know, continue to hack away at the foundation of the philanthropic industrial complex in hopes that, uh, you know, we can, we can start to, to push it, you know, into a new place, a better place. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, where can people find out more about you or the hive if they would like to do that online? Yeah, for the for the hive, you can check out projecthive.nyc. It's just a little microsite, but it gives you know some background and and can always reach out to me. Um, my Twitter handle is just my name, B R I A N R E I C H. So you can find me there. Um, and I'm you know I'm a fairly Googleable person, so <laughs> people should not be shy to shoot me a tweet or send me an email or you know find us through the hive. We're, just uh, just go on Google and put in author. Uh, futurist and Queen Bee. Yeah. I don't know about <laughs> Queen think? Bee, but you know, Beth Cantor used to call me, uh, or once on stage called me the chief a-hole. Uh, <laughs> so, but I think that's out there too. That'll eventually trace back to me. Uh, <laughs> we'll, add, we'll add that to the show notes. So, yeah, thanks for that little tip. Such yeah. a wonderful... Hey, when, when Beth calls you something, you know, you It's forever. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an honor. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. What about you, Joe? Where can people find you online in 2016? Oh, man. People can find me talking to Brian and Megan uh, on Twitter at Joe Waters. Of course, you can find me on SelfishGiving.com and check out those Pinterest boards at Pinterest.com front slash Joe Waters. What about you, Megan? Where can people find you? Also on Twitter at Megan Strand, and I tweet for the Cause Marketing Forum at TweetCMF. And you can find show notes for today's show at Cause Update, as well as SelfishGiving.com, of course. And we do want you to subscribe to Cause Talk Radio and iTunes. Make it your 2016 resolution to subscribe Absolutely. to Cause Talk Radio. Leave us a comment while you're there. Let us know uh, what you like about the show, what you would love for us to include in the future. And on behalf of Brian and Joe and myself, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this rep- episode of Cause Talk Radio, and we'll talk to you next time. 